Hi, everyone. This is Duncan Fletcher, the Executive Director of the Professional Association of Athlete Development Specialists. And welcome to another conversation in our 2021 Athlete Development Summit podcast series. Today, along with my colleague Stephanie Thorburn, we jump into the world of branding and marketing. This is a rapidly shifting world, particularly in collegiate sports, as student athletes brace for changes in the name, image, and likeness rules, which have governed the NCAA. Our conversation today is with a world-class researcher, academic, and entrepreneur, Dr. T. Lo Kunkel from Temple University. We tackle a wide range of issues as they relate to student athletes, professional athletes, and the pending changes in the NIL. This was an enjoyable conversation for us. We hope you enjoy it too. And as always, thanks very much for listening. Hello, friends. The PADS Athlete Development Summit podcast series is extraordinarily fortunate to have Aura Health as a sponsor this year. Founded in 2013, Aura Health is the company behind the health tech wearable, the Aura Ring, which provides actionable insights on sleep and its impact on your overall health. It's used by top performers across a variety of industries, including the NBA, the WNBA, NASCAR, UFC, and more. And in fact, I've got one on my finger, which I had before Aura even thought about sponsoring pads. I can tell you one thing for sure. It's definitely helped me align my sleep, which was an absolute car wreck. The Aura Ring delivers personalized readiness and activity and sleep insights automatically to the Aura app, providing wearers with practical steps for long-term improvement. I can attest to that. The Aura Ring is not a medical device and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, monitor, or prevent medical conditions or illnesses. For more information, I'd urge you to check out AuraRing.com. And on behalf of PADS, we thank you for your sponsorship of the PADS Athlete Development Summit podcast series. Hi, everyone. This is Duncan Fletcher. I'm here with Stephanie Thorburn and Dr. Tilo Kunkel from Temple University. Tilo, Stephanie, how's everybody doing? Great. Happy to be here. Fantastic. Phenomenal. Well, we're looking forward to having a very interesting conversation today around branding and marketing for student athletes. And we're going to get into a little bit of the NIL or name, image, and likeness. But before we do that, uh, and we got to learn a little bit more about our guest here today. So, Tilo, I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, tell me a little bit about where you grew up and you know, where did you develop your passion for sport? All right. I grew up in Germany. I spent most of my life, uh, my youth there. I studied there, um, played soccer or football, as a, Europe, as a proper European would call it, and uh, snowboarded during that time. Um, developed a passion for, for sports in general there and actively participated and then studied sports science. Really enjoyed that, but then also realized that I do enjoy the, the business side a lot more. I competitively snowboarded, but realized very quickly that some 12-year-old kids were better than me. And that was the time to really work a little bit harder at the university and study a bit more and really get into the business side. And then after graduating, I uh, ran a small event promotion company in germany worked with the fifa world cup and then i went to live in australia for five years for my phd in sport business and then after that um continued being engaged with with soccer over there and also um honed down on my surfing skills and came to temple university eight years ago where i'm an associate professor now I never thought I'd stay that long in the United States, but the work environment and the sport environment in North America is just phenomenal. So it's it's a great it's great to be on this side of the world now and having lived through different systems in Europe, in Australia, now here. Um, and now I'm a professor here at Temple University. I work with our research center. I'm a director there. And we work with industry clients and I research um, a lot on an athlete branding, sport branding, sport events and, and sponsorship. That's fantastic. And I guess we probably fair to say right out of the gate that the surfing in Philadelphia is not comparable to what you were doing in Australia. That'd be my hunch. That is a good hunch. Yes. <laughs> and the other thing about Australia is that they're sport crazy down there. Did that have a significant impact on how you view sport uh, as you were going through your PhD? Because they are a, uh, and we have a lot of Australian members of PADS, that is a very dedicated and committed uh, sport 
fan population. I'm just curious how that impacted your perception of sport. Absolutely. I think in the Australian population, sport places a, a really high value in in the culture. So not just from a spectating part, but then also from a participatory sport, you, you see people up and running at 5 a.m. in the morning and, and going for a surf and before work. So it certainly shapes on how you view fandom and how you view sport participation and what the commitment is that some people go through. So I think as a European, you always think that German soccer fans are the craziest that they are. And then you move to Australia and you're like, whoa, other countries are also very crazy. And then you move to Philadelphia and it's a whole new ballgame in terms of sport fans. So it's, I think I think the different cultures, it really opens your eyes and, and the value of sport in, in society and what people really value. <clears throat> Absolutely. And you've got a decade of research under your belt, but your most recent stuff has really been focused on branding, student athletes. Out of curiosity, what brought you to focus your your research on that area over the last few years? And, and what really were you trying to, what was the question you were trying to answer when you began that process? Absolutely. So I started out with looking at sport leagues because I'm always more of a league fan than a specific team fan. I love the sport itself, what it stands for. And then I looked at teams and then as social media emerges and continues to emerge and evolve, it really provided a platform for these athletes to develop their own brand. Before it was all mediated, you needed to have a big agency team. But now really in social media times, you can, as an athlete, can really build your own brand and platform. So I think these external external environmental shifts towards social media and ability to brand yourself has really impacted the way I view brands and the way I view the sport brand ecosystem where it's not just one brand, but they're all connected and they're all, they're all, well, they're all work together or against one another. And I think what we are with the athlete, the focus on the athlete is really, it's at the core what individuals want to connect with, what fans want to connect with. It's about the person, it's about the individual and it goes beyond just the performance. So I think it's that natural progression on looking at the athlete themselves. And what we've seen over the research and started out in 2015, 2016, that, that time where I honed down a lot more on that athlete branding, um, we've seen the superstars, right? They, they are the ones in the limelight. They're also the ones that get all of the attention on social media. But as we've transitioning with student athletes there the changes we've seen i've seen part of my research i've seen the change and the ability or at least the potential of student athletes to brand themselves and i wanted to know more and learn more as in what happens when the ncaa caves in when this becomes so we started out our first proper monetization, student-athlete monetization research in 2018. Uh, and academia is sometimes a little bit slow. And uh, that article that we started back then was rejected from multiple journals because I was told it has no relevance. And, um, well, it's it's finally gotten <laughs> finally gotten accepted in in uh, and we've we've fine-tuned things along the way and and really honed down and look look more into things but i think that's certainly um the industry is moving at a faster pace and i expected like about in 2016 2017 i expected that there will be changes for the ncaa I didn't think they would come that fast so with california signing the bill and really trailblazing it um, that was faster than I thought it would. It was not surprising that it actually happened, but it was much faster than I thought it would. And just to add to that about, you know, building their account and building their following, um, what are, are are the do's and don'ts for those athletes um, and also the athlete development specialists? What can they do to help support those individuals? I think from day one on it's a really good question looking into okay well can i just compete at high school level and no one cares but i think people care 
and the younger era they have they can tap into different different markets so even as a high school athlete high school level athlete it's a potential to start branding yourself around the sport around the sport that they're passionate about and uh, being deliberate on what they share so that means sometimes for i mean if i'm a 15 year old high school athlete i 15 year old tilo would have shared things that probably uh, Tilo today would not be very proud of. So I think it's it's important to be uh, deliberate early on. And sometimes that means that maybe they want to create a burner account for their private private conversation with their friends and, and a professional account for who they are um, and really branding that centered around their, their sport, centered around providing more information. What I see but I see now looking at uh, thousands of student athletes, social media, Instagram profiles, Twitter profiles. Some of them don't even have their proper name in, in their bio. They don't they don't use the, the actual name. They don't use that what sport they're playing for a specific school. They don't share any of that information. So it becomes really difficult to find them, even at uh, at the professional level. I just looked at data yesterday on the MLS and there is about 13% of major league soccer players don't have an easily identifiable Instagram account. So, and and 4% of them have a private Instagram account. So they're losing out on that potential to really connect with an audience and build that brand. And down the road, I mean, branding is nice, but it's nicer when it leads to money. So down the road they're losing out on that ability to monetize their their connection with their fans and also build that connection so it's not only about money but it's also about how can i inspire people how can i have an impact that reaches beyond the game that reaches beyond my playing time so how do i transition so i think when you're asking about when do you start and when do you finish i think it's a start from day one in high school all the way it it will it will help um, with all aspects of life down the road. I think that's a really interesting point. And, and I, we'll probably come back to that because like the idea of the sort of continuum uh, of development for an athlete on the social media and the branding side, I think is really critical. And I really do like your point about the professional name. I've, I've seen emails from athletes before, and I'm sure having the, uh, the social media account, you know, Chuckles McTickles is probably not the way to go in terms of presenting the best, uh, the best foot forward. I think one of the questions that may be worthwhile getting you to comment on is what is your take on the NIL itself and and what's your perception of how this is going to impact uh, student athlete environment and maybe the sport ecosystem in general. And then from there, we can kind of go back to what you just talked around in terms of that sort of long-term impact, which I think is, is really interesting to kind of dive further into. Absolutely. Now with the NIL, it's, I mean, it's good that it's coming. It's given that it's coming faster than the NCAA planned and hoped for, it will start as a wild west. The NCAA will try to keep as much of a tight grip as possible in terms of how people are using their school's logos, their um, event logos that they're participating in, the league logos, all of those aspects. They will try to uh, potentially benefit of when a student athlete benefits so the school will want their share and so on so it will start out as the wild west and it does take a lot of education on how these schools share with their athletes what they can do what they should not do and give them some guidance now i also know that they're not allowed to tell them how to monetize so they they can provide some information, but ultimately it's up to the athlete on what they're going to do. Um, but I think it does require some thoughts on the schools and every school that traditionally their compliance officer was about preventing monetization. Now it becomes more about educating on what they can do and how they can properly monetize. And the more information they can give to these athletes, the better it will be for the school because it means less work for like basically slapping those athletes on the wrist that are not compliant initially. And there will be many of those. I mean, that's my big prediction as in you're an athlete right now. I think you probably have a few months of 
leeway where you get a slap on the wrist and I'm like, yeah, you shouldn't do that, but you probably get away with it. So I'm not saying they should do that, but it's probably an option to monetize for a little while to, um, yeah, beyond those boundaries. But the the schools will place strict boundaries around it. I know the NAIA has has really provided a lot of options for the athletes to even use the school's lo- school logos in in the monetization. That's really where a lot of that value comes from as well. Um, but the the big athletes or the big universities, they'll probably have a tighter grip around that. <clears throat> and I think that's one of the interesting things that if you look at your research and, you know, you mentioned that the NCAA is going to want to keep tabs on it and maybe restrict it. You talk about institutions are going to be looking to put a break on it. And I think your research was pretty clear that there is actually significant value to institutions uh, if their athletes are more engaged, it's going to result potentially in more attendance. It's going to result in more social media followers. Um, it's going to have a, you know, impact the, the, how the school is potentially perceived. So you would seem to think that based on your research that they should be driving behind this full throttle and getting behind supporting their athletes as they engage in it. What's your take on that? Do you feel like that's an accurate perception or is there some nuance to that that maybe we should discuss? I think there's certainly some nuance like with with everything. Um, So what we've looked at is really the impact of the school logo and the school, the school following the school value, so to speak, if it's a really high, like big followed, big followed university, what's the impact on the athlete? And we see that the school impacts the athlete. So the the more prestigious the, the university is and the more followers the university has, the more followers the athlete gets as a, rough sketch but then we also see that that impact is fairly minimal so it is there but it's not there at an at a in a rate where you say hey this is all about the university so what we see is these athletes really build their brand independent of that university i mean we see trevor lawrence having hundreds of thousand followers and some of his teammates having 2000 followers so so it really shows that the values with the individual what we share, what we show is that it just makes sense that if an athlete with uh, 300,000 followers around the nation, if they post about the university, if they share content about that university, that should have some value. So we've seen uh, one, of the, one of the basketball coaches, a female, female basketball program, he, his student athlete had 400,000 followers and he wanted to do an Instagram live with the student athlete because that would build the coach's profile. So we see that these individual brands at the athlete level, they have value for the university, for those actors within the university. We haven't fully examined what that value is. And it's going to be really difficult to look at that because we've also, all of our research is under the current institutionalized structure where well, these student-athletes really don't have that much incentive to really build their brand. I mean, they should because at some time they'll, they'll go pro, but that immediate effect, that immediate return on investment isn't there. So it really ded- takes a lot of dedication to say, hey, I'm going to build my brand for when I go pro in four years. That takes a lot of dedication. But that's what we've done most of the research under that premise. That's going to change now. So I think we will see a lot more athletes really actively building their brand over the next few years. And that's when I think the institutions are going to benefit from it because most individual athlete accounts are just more engaging than an institution account that is run by someone who really needs to justify every step to their athletic director. Well, perhaps as this landscape continues to change and evolve and and institutions see the benefit of the collaboration, there might be an increase in that, in the tagging and, and the support of athlete to institution and institution to athlete. Really good question in terms of how do you build your brand? I think positivity is certainly one of those aspects. Even if you're annoyed at the coach, keep those things internal. I mean, that's that's an, a, an easy start. Um, second thing, if you wouldn't want your mom or grandma want to see it, 
you probably shouldn't share it on your professional account. Again, that's where a burner account comes into play. You have an account for only your friends. You want to make some jokes, do that on your burner account. Um, so those are the don'ts. The do's are collaborate with teammates. And I think we see that not often done, not often enough. So we just actually presented a research project yesterday at uh, at a conference where we looked at how athletes collaborate and network with one another and tagging teammates and really talking up your teammates and doing these collaborations with your teammates is one of the biggest ways to increase your social media following because people have the same passion, same sport. So their followers like the same sport and that collaboration is free and it's really engaging. So we see a lot of student athletes, their Instagram profile, it's their selfie and it's another selfie and then it's their selfie with their school uniform. But that collaboration is is crucial when wanting to build a, an account deliberately. And then another thing that we don't see very often at the moment is that support from the university level. So I think that's when you're asking about how can those in charge support their student athletes. I see so many schools not tagging their athletes in the pictures when they post them. Again, it's free. It's super simple. And it goes a really long way and it helps those athletes really build their brand. Because if I'm following a university access account, the athletics account, account, football, basketball, gymnastics, and I see an amazing performance or I see an awesome dunk, I want to know who's that, who that athlete is. I want, I want to easily click on the tag and I want to start following them. So I think those are very simple ways and they're very cost-efficient ways. It just takes a little bit of preparation and thought-out posting, and that can go a really long way. And this is a new world for, for everyone, so it's going to continue to evolve for, for the student-athletes and the institutions and those working with them and the NCA. So, you know, I would say it's a marathon, not a sprint. You know, create the infrastructure, but things will change. And so, you know, we want our, our participants to be aware of, of the new um, landscape and that it's going to continue to evolve and, um, you know, ensure that they're up to speed but also, you know, not racing to the finish line quite yet because things can continue to change. Absolutely. And I think even if the institution doesn't see the immediate benefit for themselves, I think they should be proactively thinking about how can I convince this five-star recruit, this amazing athlete to join us versus another institution that has a similar record or maybe even a better record place in a different conference because it all it comes down to recruitment as in hey, here is what we will do as an institution to help you grow your brand that way we don't help you money we will give you the, the tools to monetize but here's what we can really do to help increase the value of that personal brand and i think that's what institutions right now need to be looking at and that's what they need to and what they could sell to athletes as in, come to us, we will make you big. We'll blow you up national on, an, on a national basis. And what do you think the implications are as these student athletes are kind of going through the NCAA experience? How do you see this playing out in the professional sport context? I think that this is actually one of the ways where the Student first aspect, the NCAA can really can really have an impact because if these athletes are able and allowed to monetize and build, they're basically learning simple business strategies during college. So if like we've always been talking about student first and it's about the education and preparing them for life, as in, hey, this is a phenomenal way on how to teach athletes how to run their own company, as in build your own brand, that'll be needed in business, any business down the road. How to do, how to promote your brand, that'll be needed in most businesses down the road. So it's almost the athlete as an entrepreneur, it's almost like a second type of business degree that these athletes could be getting from schools. And that's something that 
is really aligned with the the mission of the NCAA. So I think if they're looking at this, they they should. If I was the NCAA, that's what I would brand myself around, and I would I would talk that up as much as possible. As in, this is how we help student athletes prepare for life. As in financial literacy, all of these aspects, budgeting, how to reach out, how to do promotions, how to do partnerships with a potential sponsor. What are the legal implications? So those that's real education. That's real life education that these athletes could be getting and that the NCAA could, quite frankly, use to really brand itself and make itself appealing to these student athletes. But we're also talking about then if they've gone through that four years, they will, when they go pro, they'll be so much more prepared for that professional life because they know about, hey, I've got taxes, I've got legal, how do I get representation? All of those aspects, I think it will make the transition much easier and it will really prepare them for their professional life. What I also see, what I think right now, a lot of athletes don't realize this opens the door for universities to recruit top-tier international athletes as well that have been potentially they have been going pro or they want to monetize their brand. As in thus far, if you've played second league soccer in, in Europe, you would have been a professional. Now, that would have prevented you in the past to come over and get a degree. But now, that actually may you may still be able to come over here. So I think whether it's soccer, whether it's international, particular Olympic sports, it, it allows these universities to keep top-tier athletes, and right now, particularly with the Olympics coming, to keep those athletes in the system. So Katie Ledecky quit swimming for Stanford because she wanted to monitor. I mean, after a few Olympic gold medals, you would be foolish to to turn down all of that sponsorship money, and, and she was not. So props to her, she, but she quit swimming for Stanford, which is a massive loss for Stanford University, as in, how amazing would it be for any university to have someone like Katie Ledecky swim for your team or Simone Biles to do a gymnastics routine for your gymnastics? Like, this is like you'd have international media at every meet. So that's when you talk about what's the benefit for the university. I think these superstar athletes are going to stay longer because they'll still be allowed to monetize and they get a degree at the end. And the university gets a massive media attention. So it may even um, start to rival some of the pro leagues in terms of media attention. That's a fascinating take. Uh, and I find that it's a compelling argument. Out of curiosity, are you seeing any institutions that you've come across actually begin to migrate to that kind of a footing? Because what you're really talking about, too, is the potential for recruiting wars gone crazy. Uh, and I'm and I'm curious what you're seeing right now, uh, or, or is there somebody that's kind of got a similar view and is actually operationalizing to kind of move in that direction? I think some universities are really proactive. Some have really signed some deals with some external institutions that help them bring in that that expertise. Um, when when partnering, it's always the question, as in. When that external expertise sells another product, it's it begs the question as in how much focus is on that other product versus how much focus is on really benefiting that athlete. So uh, I've seen some institutions being really proactive and, and some just starting to wrap their head around. Um, I think there is a lot of expertise. I think there's also a lot of fake expertise or people just trying to make a big bu a quick buck on this as in hey i'll i'll help you out i'll, I'll come and do a motivational speech to your student athletes and you all have to build your brand and so there's a lot of as a vegetarian i don't like to say it but there's a lot of sizzle not a lot of steak i wouldn't want the steak anyway but i mean the, there is a lot of there's a lot of um smoke being um yeah being handed out and sold quite frankly at the moment as well so I don't want to name specific organizations, but I think um, universities should do their due diligence. Their due diligence on what they're getting. I know. I'm like, hmm. I want to know. <laughs> the only people that follow me are are people that I know, but I, I had no idea that that was even a thing. 
Um, but you know, it makes sense. You're, you're paying for the, the likes and the comments and the following, which then to your point, you know, you go to a brand and this player has a hundred thousand likes. Um, a brand is more likely to partner because it's more visibility. You know, you think of all the, the, um, media influencers, it's about their followings. I follow people for fashion tips for food and they have a million likes and it just grows. So you have 20,000 and you partner with a brand and then you get 30,000 and 40,000. So it benefits the company. Um, uh, but had no idea that some of these followers were, or fake. I fully agree. This is, as you say, it's a marathon. But one thing I think is important that anyone who starts sprinting at the beginning of the marathon will be ahead of the curve. And when you're ahead of the curve, it gets much easier to recruit, to get the next top recruit. So I think those who are proactive right now are... It's almost like they're getting a getting someone carrying them for the next for so you, if you sprint for the first five kilometers you will have the next thirty what it's uh, thirty seven kilometers will be much easier because you have that head start because you've they've been able to build a name around being student friendly and that's really that's honestly that's the only way that these organizations will be able to succeed down the road those who are not student friendly that are not proactive, they will lose out in the long run. Um, and that will manifest very quickly. So coaches that have, I've heard of a lot of coaches that didn't want their athletes to have an, a public Twitter or a public Instagram. This is outdated. Those will be left behind. And those universities, if their coach is doing, still doing that, it's time to, honestly, it's time to fire your coach. I will be as as vocal about this right now because you are losing the long game you will you will lose out and it's time to to update i like that it's always good to call out coaches they love that hey, but, I, but well done to you though i think that's i think it's a great call i i don't like calling out people but this is one of the things where coaches need to to adapt to the new normal and if they a recruiting and, and name, image, and likeness is going to be a big part that will drive recruitment down the road. And any coach that doesn't see that yet um, has is missing the boat. That's fascinating. Um, I'm going to kind of just one of the things I was when I was going through your research that I found really interesting, and I kind of wanted to get you to comment on it was that when you were going through and looking at the engagement statistics for for athletes. Uh, on social media, you noted that, or you found, sorry, that those users who are following those athletes tend to be more engaged. And I think that's really interesting. And I'm curious if what your theory is as to why, uh, and maybe you could talk a little bit about that sort of additional engagement just by virtue of being an athlete. I think that, and, and you're absolutely right. What we found is that on average, these student athletes have got about 20% of engagement rate in terms, in terms of likes on their, on their posts compared to their following. So every fifth follower would like their picture on average, which is so much higher than any traditional influencer that we see. And quite frankly, it's when I compare it to professional soccer athletes. Um, I just ran the stats yesterday on the NWSL and the MLS, and their engagement rates are hovering around 12.2%. So the 20% of the student athletes are much higher than what we see compared to the professionals. And that's independent of the number of followers. And we see the more followers you have, the less engagement you get which just makes sense as in you attract some people like, oh, yeah, I'll follow for one hour. You haven't built that relationship. Um, but we see that still on average, it's much higher for these student athletes. And I think I have two hypotheses. One is that they are, it's a really focused target market. So we see a lot of their followers come from either the same university or they have been growing up together. So it's the same demographic. Whereas if for the professionals, because they get that national media attention, um, we see that they're maybe talking about certain things that are not exactly in that target market. So we see a really highly focused and oftentimes also locally focused, geographically focused 
follower base, which makes them really attractive for local sponsors and local businesses to connect with. So it makes them really attractive endorsers. Now, the second part is where I'm, I'm hypothesizing that once student athletes go pro, their agents in the past have started to get involved. And maybe it's either that their agents have been telling them what to do and what not to do. So in terms of that authenticity that sometimes get lost a little bit, as in you're a professional now, you only post about how when you score a goal or you only score when you do an internet and a, a specific appearance. So I think that that authenticity, authenticity gets lost a little bit. But the other hypothesis is that I think a lot of professional athletes have bought Instagram or Twitter followers as soon as they go pro. Whether it's them or whether it's their agents, it's so cheap to buy. If you want, I can buy you 20,000, 100,000 followers tomorrow. And it's cheap. Now, what is that going to do? It's going to increase the value that the agent can ask from a potential endorser. So, okay, sponsor this athlete. He or she has 100,000, 105,000 followers. Now, we don't see that at the student level because thus far, these student athletes didn't have an incentive, quite frankly, to buy their followers. So my argument, and we've seen that with the, we've seen that with professional leagues. I mean, there's a lot of bots out there. Um, we've seen it with professional teams that um, Facebook did a big data clean uh, in at the beginning of the year. And a professional league that I won't name has lost over 20 million followers on their Facebook account from the year before. So what these professional teams or professional athletes that have bought followers, what they're doing is basically conning some of their their endorsers and some of the brands that they're working for because they're selling a business and a, they're selling a service on the valuation of 100,000 followers where in fact their own only, I'm saying only 10,000 is, is a big number of followers that you can influence. But in fact, they are still have only 10,000 real followers. So that's my second hypothesis. It's really difficult to prove that. So I'm not writing that down in, in my paper. So I would love to get dig deeper on that. But I think I think a professional or any sort of endorses any sort of engagement or any sort of brand that wants to work with athletes should really look at the engagement rate and whether that engagement rate is authentic. Um, because I could also... Additionally, I could buy you on your 100,000 followers that I buy. I can also buy you 5,000 likes on every, on every post and 37 comments. So once you're in the field, you can really like dissect that a little bit further. But I mean, it probably takes me with the research that I've done, it probably takes me about two minutes to tell a brand whether that athlete has bought followers in the past or not, and whether that engagement is real or not. So um, I think a lot of these brands that are dealing with athletes, um, when they are sponsoring student athletes that are still in that state, I think they are really getting a big, they're getting a return on their investment because thus far these student athletes haven't had the incentive to basically buy followers or, or go that route. So I think they're, they're, going, they're going to be benefiting from it. When you talk about the alignment and, and the brands, um, one reason to keep compliance involved is the bylaws that restrict things, um, certain things from happening. For example, in terms of aligning yourself with CBD or marijuana companies or creatine companies, there are banned substances that NCA athletes cannot um, ingest. Or And so if they're promoting it, even though that might not be an infraction, it is still um, really going against um, bylaws and regulations that are in place, because as an NCA athlete, you can't take performance enhancing drugs. You can't take uppers. You can't take downers. You can't take all these things. Um, and if you take them and, and you take a drug test and you fail, you're ineligible. So even though the laws don't state you can't endorse one, it is contradictory to the rules and regulations in place. So a lot of things are going to have to be updated due to the fact that 
this is a new world that we're living. Um, and the, the don't bet on it is the whole NCA stance that it's about amateurism, but now it isn't about amateurism. So these are all new, new, this is a new world. So um, institutions and the NCA have to take a step back as this starts to unfold and, and determine how they're going to handle these situations, because if it's not really breaking the rule, but it's contradictory to the rules that are in place. Absolutely. And it's also, I think what we see right now, brands are getting involved with, oh yeah, 20,000 likes or a thousand comments. This is what, this is 1.0, so to speak. I think 2.0 will be, how can you actually influence your audience? Because what do we see a lot with, um, particularly on the influencer side, is that there are some some influencers they've built their their personal brand around. They're very attractive, maybe as, as sexy pictures, etc. And they gain a lot of followers because Instagram is a visual medium. People like attractive people, so they start following, they start liking. But how much of that audience can you really activate for a sponsor? How much can you really influence? Say hey, this water bottle is really worth it, or this CBD product is this, um, whether it's, uh, I mean, I don't want to get into vaping, but whether it's it's any of these, this hair shampoo, really buy this shampoo because it does all these amazing things for me. How much can they actually drive sales versus how many people are just going to comment, oh, you're so pretty, here's a like. And, and and that's it. So I think that's that will be influencer marketing. That will be the next level. And that's where I think athletes with their authenticity, in particular student athletes with their authenticity, can have a really a leg up against those influencers that have built their, their personal brand around these other aspects. Well, I think by mentioning CBD, uh, Tilo, you probably gave an athletic director somewhere a bit of a minor heart attack. Uh, and I'm sure, as you said earlier, that we're going to see that Wild West phenomenon. And and I'm looking forward to watching that play out because I'm sure it will. And that kind of puts us into the conversation around what is the dark side uh, of this? And you've kind of alluded to it a little bit. And you've talked about, you know, obviously there's a bit of a shadow game going on as well. From your perspective, what do you see as the as, as some of the negatives that can come out of the uh, out of the shift from the NIL uh, and 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 where where students and institutions need to be particularly wary as we kind of enter this, as you said, this wild west? I th- you're absolutely right in terms of athletics directors that are always like CBD. Oh, whoa! I'm or or when we go further in terms of in states where. Weed is legal, so there will be if you're if you're based in Colorado, if you're based in, there will be athletes wanting to promote weed companies. Um, I think something something to question for those athletic directors that are that are getting that heart attack is also is like, well, what are your values, and how does your institution currently reflect those values? Because I see. I see the NCAA trying to prevent athletes um, partnering with betting companies, yet there are athletic programs around the U.S. that have started signing partnership deals with betting companies. So I think institutions need to be consistent when what they allow their athletes to do, and, and they need to be consistent what they're, they're doing themselves. So if they themselves are starting to partner with betting companies, because quite frankly, there's so much money in it, why not? If you can keep it, the more legal it is, the more oversight there will be. So it seems to make sense. But they need to be consistent with that. They can't prevent their athletes from from signing a betting partnership deal with a specific company and then going around and saying, yep, we just partnered. This is our new betting provider. And that's just That's just common sense that that cannot be. These universities then need to look in the mirror as well as in, hey, if we prevent our athletes from promoting this creatine company, maybe we shouldn't sign this sponsorship deal ourselves either. So, and that, that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying everything should be a go, but I'm saying there needs to be consistency between what the institution does and what they want their athletes to be doing. So I, I totally agree. 
Now, in terms of, of the dark side, I think there is there's certainly athletes getting involved for the wrong reason, um, starting to promote uh, companies that may not align. And that's, I think, is something that these, not just the university, need to think about their values, but these athletes need to think about what do I represent? What do I stand for? And how do I want people to perceive me? So do particular I think vaping and CBD is is, is the, the first start as in do I I know there's many vaping companies that are going to throw money at at the student athlete market because it's a massive target market, a college crowd. So particular if a star quarterback of a high prestigious university starts showing here I am I'm vaping and I can still compete at the highest level what is that going to show that it is going to legitimize those those vaping companies so these athletes really need to understand what they're doing and how they are providing legitimacy to businesses brands and organizations that may not have their best uh, interest in mind so so that's certainly certainly an aspect to to keep in mind whether that's I mean, whether that's betting, whether that's unhealthy, whether it's smoking or uh, junk food, all of those aspects that these athletes need to think about. It's like, okay, I may I may take the quick buck right now for providing this um, fast food, uh, providing sponsorship to this fast food company and say uh, every I eat hot dogs every day. But you know what? Your recruiter for when you want to go to the pro leagues may also see that and so you've taken the thousand dollars sponsorship promotion or even worse the 73 dollars sponsorship promotion and you basically leaving the big contract on the on the list because that's not what a professional athlete does so that's something to keep in mind as well as in what's the big picture goal do i want to make a quick butt right now or do I want to go pro and, and want to get a legitimate sponsor um, that is that is then aligning with what I stand for? So I think that alignment is, is certainly an aspect. And then we also see the ambush marketing, as in if my if my university is sponsored by Toyota, or it's going to be somewhat more difficult for me to align myself with a different uh, car company. And maybe it would be more beneficial for me to also be seeking to sponsor, get sponsorship from that specific car company that is already sponsoring the university, because then I can really leverage the university brand logo and I can really leverage that impact there. And I get the university team and the media team because it's value to the university. And then I get the media team to do a photo shoot. So it's basically doubling up. So I may not get as much money immediately as i would get from a competitor of the university but i get so much more benefit from going with the same sponsor and really looking for those synergies so that's certainly something to keep in mind that these athletes can leverage the university media team the marketing department that are doing amazing work i mean i i see our our digital designers or mark graphic designers at Temple University, I'm seeing some of their graphs. I'm like, whoa, this is awesome. Like if I'm a student athlete, I would I would pay for these type of graphs to be able to use to then work with sponsors as well, because that's the additional value that they can bring. So I think those are the dark side that they need to watch out for. And then I think with every time you every time you build your brand, not just on the selling, but on the brand building, there's there's a lot of haters out there. So particularly when when you're outside of a sports specific platform, whether you're on Instagram, Twitter, etc., um, you there's there's a lot of hate. There's a lot of negativity, and we've seen it recently with. Um, uh, with, with the French Open, Omi Saka is saying, hey, there's so much pressure, there's mental health. We, they need to really protect themselves. And we see that particular athletes are struggling because they're scrutinized in the public eye. And it's so easy for a random Joe or Jill to be on, on Twitter, to go on, on Instagram and, and just 
leave some negative comments there and because they're not even in in that sport environment so i think what we see there also is sport platforms are going to or sport specific platforms where these athletes can really build their brand are going to take more impact down the road because it's that specific focus you'll have ideally you'll have an, an organization behind that are going to also monitor hate speech and monitor making making sure that um, the comments and the likes and all of those aspects are really are really a positive environment for these athletes. So that mental health is something to keep in mind as well for those athletes. So the more they grow their brand, the more exposure they get to people that may not have their best interest in mind because jealousy is a thing in social media. Um, most things look pretty good. It's a great point. And I think, uh, uh, I think that's a really well articulated view of what the dark side can be because, you know, as these, as you say, as these athletes grow their brands, that scrutiny only increases. And as you said, you know, the, the dialogue and the discourse on social media isn't as uh, highbrow as we would hope, I would say. Um, and I think the last question I had for you, and then we could probably look to start wrapping it up, is I think what we've been talking about is, you know, we've been talking about teams, we've been talking about athletes, we've been talking about sponsors, we've been talking about institutions and leagues and the NCAA. And I believe in your research, you refer to this sort of this, uh, the, the architecture or the framework in terms of where the brand exists. And I think it's kind of interesting as we've kind of talked about, we've kind of talked about each of these different subsets. Maybe you could just kind of talk about the, the, the role that architecture plays in the branding ecosystem and, and how that sort of plays all together to kind of impact both the institution and the athlete. That might be some broader context that our listeners may find valuable. Absolutely. And, and that's something that my research has started in, like, with my dissertation was focused on that, that brand architecture, as in how do leagues impact teams, teams impact leagues, what's that relationship? Um, and then from there on, really expanded that into what we call the brand ecosystem. And it's... It has all of these players, whether it's the institution, at the, um, it's the conference, then the institution, then you have that institution could be the team or it could be a team within the institution. So if we think of breaking it down at the top level, you got the NCAA, the, the governing body, then you have the conference, then you have the university. In the university, you have your specific team. And then in the team, you have the specific athletes. So they're all connected with one another. And that closer that connection, the more the spillover between those brands. So the individual athlete is going to impact their team more than their league. And the team is going to impact the league more than and than, than the, the, the federation, etc. So the closer that connection, the more impact. What we see also is that these individual entities and individual brands, they're also partnering with organizations outside that brand ecosystem. So we'll see sponsored come in at each level. And I think that's where a lot of that competition comes into play. And then as part of that, we also see events alongside. Well, there are events for the, the team. There are events for the university. There's, I mean, the FIFA World Cup is a great example, right? It, it pulls athletes from people around the world into this event that has had its own brand but it's now entering that brand system. So I think big picture, we need to consider all of those stakeholders in that branding system. And I think from a, from a brand perspective, that's what we've been looking at. But I think when we bring in the NCA, we bring in student athletes, it gets really difficult as well because you're now adding boosters, you're now adding sponsors, you're adding the university brand and it doesn't, it's not just that their main focus is about winning. It's also, well, we have an, an educational perspective that we have here. So some institution may want to have athletes on their team that may not have a 4.0 GPA in physics. And, and some institutions may find alternative ways on how to keep those athletes on the roster. And, and I think there, there's a lot in that, that terms in terms of compliance, in terms of the dark side, in terms of the repercussions that institutions need to be aware of when, when they are 
when they're dealing with athletes. I mean, we've seen it in the past, as in a short win can can lead to a long-term negative loss, negative loss, a short win on the field, as in in terms of that brand. Where I, I look at, as I said, my main research is about the brand because I think perception in this case is reality. So whatever people think of the brand, it's the reality in their mind. So you may be a five-star football team, but your university had a big scandal. People are going to need to sanction you. Even though they may not want to sanction you, they will need to because of public pressure. And we see that with professional teams all, all along. We see we see it with some professional leagues that only start fining athletes after a scandal has been made public, after the public is going to scrutinize them. So I think it's it's about that brand and, and these institutions and the individual stakeholders in the institution need to be aware of the of all players in that brand ecosystem. That's fantastic. And again, I appreciate you kind of giving us a rundown with that. And I think that's a great way to, to potentially get here to the wrap up. I don't know, Stephanie, any other questions from you? I really appreciate the perspective that you brought, um, you know, from the collegiate space as well as the professional space and the, the lens that the athlete development specialist should be looking from and operating as they start to, um, you know, help their athletes capitalize, monetize, and navigate uh, this platform. And Tilo, is there anything that we that we missed that you think we really uh, we we may want to jump on before uh, before we wrap up our our conversation today? I think you touched on pretty much all of those aspects. One thing that I I think we can briefly touch on, and full disclosure here, I I'm a founder of a company that has been focused on basically providing a marketplace we call Sporta, but we're not the only ones. There are some other amazing platforms, amazing marketplaces out there that are providing that service to help these athletes connect with sponsors. And and I think that is something that athletes can really look out for. It's going to be, these companies do provide the service that particular for those who can't afford an agent or don't want to afford an agent or where the agent just doesn't do the work for them because um, 10% of a $500 sponsorship is really not going to get many agents out of bed in the morning. I think these marketplaces that are out there are doing phenomenal work. And um, that's certainly something that I think is worth highlighting for the viewers that in it helps to share, it helps athletes to get involved with monetizing and building their brand. And I would suggest um, that they get on maybe a few, so get on one or two or three of these platforms rather than just putting all the eggs in the basket and it's like, okay, I'm only like to do, only work on Instagram because Instagram may change the algorithm. And then what? Now you're starting, now you're a business. Oh, well, you have 2000 followers and you're starting to monetize. We're going to slow you down. So that way we want you to buy more sponsored content. We want you to pay. So I think those are some aspects that these athletes need to hedge their bets against the platform because down the road, they think they may have 50,000 followers on Instagram, but if Instagram decide they're going down or they decide to block or they change algorithms, um, what happens to those 50,000 followers? So leverage the brand that you build on Instagram, leverage it to build a brand on TikTok, leverage it to build a brand on Twitter, leverage it to build a brand on different platforms that are focused on your sport and build an audience because that audience is yours, but only as long as that platform allows. So hedge your bets as an athlete and um, do your research and get involved with multiple of those because one marketplace may have some players that or some some brands involved that are exactly a great fit some another marketplace may have brands that are not a great fit but there's less competition so those are some aspects that these athletes need to look out for and basically just experiment around a little bit and get involved that i think is something that something tangible for athletes to take away as well I think that's phenomenal. And like you said, I think the value of getting started now is massive. And that's probably a great way to, to wrap up this conversation. So, uh, Stephanie, thanks for joining us. And of course, many thanks, uh, Dr. Tilo 
Kunkel from Temple University. Again, thanks for making time today to chat with us, and we really appreciate your contribution to the 2021 Athlete Development Summit. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Anyone who's interested in reaching out, feel free to find me online. Uh, my, all of my handles are at Tilo Kunkel. It's fairly simple to find me. There are not that many around. So I'd love to chat further with anyone uh, that's passionate about this topic or wants to learn more. And I'd love to learn more from people that are in this field as well. So thank you so much for having me. Super exciting topic and all, awesome work that you guys are doing there. Thank you. Thanks very much, everyone.